I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Once Upon a Gene is proud to be part of Bloodstream Media. Living in a family affected by rare and chronic illness can be isolating, and sometimes the best medicine is connecting to the voices of people who share your experience. This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more. Hello, rare friends. Welcome to the show. I'm so grateful that you're here. I just got back from three and a half weeks of some pretty intense stuff. All good. I took my son to LA for an intensive therapy program, and then I got on a plane and headed to Boston to uh, accept the WeGo Award for the podcast. I met so many of my rare friends that I've only known online, and it was just the most amazing experience ever. I'll tell you all about it in a different episode. Today, I'm very excited to introduce you to my guest. He is real and honest, and he doesn't hold anything back. He's a rare dad to a son with Batten disease, and he is on a mission. What I like about him is he's not afraid to talk about the emotional well-being and the mental health aspect of it. And I think you're going to get a lot of value out of this episode today, and I'm really excited to introduce you to him. Please enjoy my conversation with my friend Christopher Volona. Hi, Christopher. Good morning. Welcome. Good morning. I found out about you, like, I don't know, less than a month ago. Well, maybe longer because I, I, I forgot that you messaged me. So On LinkedIn. Yes. You found me on LinkedIn. I was like, who is this Christopher Valona guy? <laughs> Never heard of him. And anyways, it's just been so nice sort of getting to know you. And you remind me a lot of my brothers in lots of ways. But yeah, tell me a little bit about yourself. You have two sons. First of all, thank you very much for having me on your show. I think it's brilliant what you've been doing. I love the play on words, Once Upon a Gene. That's awesome. Thank you. And it's nice to uh, hear another rare disease parent be so vocal and, and uh, push for advocacy. So the pleasure is all mine. I was told about you from another collaborative person that uh, pushes the needle for research in rare disease. Gay Grossman. And on that call, she had, you know, heard me complaining about how I wasn't connecting with a lot of uh, people and it was challenging. And she put together a list of top 10 people I should be talking to on a daily basis. And you were on that list. Of course, I just uh, found you on LinkedIn and gave you a quick little message. I'm so glad you did. And that's a very big compliment to be on that list. So thank you, Gay. <laughs> <laughs> She's a sweetheart. Yeah, I have two boys. My youngest is 16. His name's Gage, and uh, he is a junior at West Ranch High School here in Valencia, California, inside the city of Santa Creta, which is North Los Angeles. 
And then I have my 18-year-old, which is Sebastian Valona, who is a senior at Valencia High School here in Valencia. That's a lot of work. Two boys, teenagers, they smell, <laughs> they smell bad. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then you and you add in dad, so it's just really toxic. <laughs> well, I know Sebastian is kind of the reason that we're connected. Can you tell me a little bit about him? Sure. Sebastian is suffering from a horrible, rare disease called Batten disease, and he has category of CLN8. And in Batten disease land, as I call it, there are different numbers of variants, uh, all labeled by numbers. So it always starts out with CLN, which is basically an acronym for a very long tongue twisting word. I have a hard time even uh, pronouncing that word. So we have up to 13 known variants. 1 through 13, and then they skip a number in between. I, I can't remember which one, but yeah, it's a it's a pretty horrible disease. It's debilitating. It's neurodegenerative, and basically it, it just attacks the body from the inside out, starting with a misdiagnosis, as always is the case in Batten disease, where it's either being told you have this one thing, and then all of a sudden everything else falls apart, and you go, wait, what is it? So we were misdiagnosed for epilepsy because we had seizures, and then... Uh, Oh, about a year, year and a half later, we just had a tremendous amount of other issues that weren't normal or related to epilepsy, such as tripping, he was having a hard time talking, he couldn't see as much, and he was bumping into stuff, and, um, and then having seizures on top of that, and then fine motor skills were just wasting away, and we needed to figure it out. And that same doctor that diagnosed us with epilepsy simply said, I think we should do some genetic testing because this is not epilepsy as a whole. This seems like epilepsy might be some sort of component of something greater. And got the uh, genetic results around uh, 2011, and it was confirmed that he had Batten disease, CLN8. Oof. How old was Sebastian? In 2011. I'm really bad at numbers. Born in 2003, so 11, he would be seven, seven-ish. <laughs> so the symptoms showed up a little later for him. Yeah. And then you were on that little diagnostic journey. That's amazing. You found a doctor that looked beyond, you know, the symptoms, especially in 2011, getting you that genetic test. That's a big deal. Yeah, it was something that we had no idea what they were talking about and, um, you know, Dr. Sean Hussein, who's a fellow uh, over at UCLA, who basically runs infantile spasms department under there under uh, Dr. Sankar, he's just been a blessing. He's just a really cool young doctor, loves pizza, and just uh, pretty much just tells you how it is. His normal response is like he goes, whatever you tell him, whether you're throwing up on him or you're asking him a straight question, he'll go, well, that seems reasonable. <laughs> a typical MD response. But uh, yeah, we were happy to understand that these types of tests existed, you know, and any one of your listeners listening, I'm sure you went through this too. You had no idea what the hell you were doing and what it was and what does this test mean? And uh, I'm glad we had it, but I wish we never had to have it, if you know what I mean. I think everybody knows what you mean, for sure. So if there's 13 different kinds of Batten and you get a diagnosis in 2011, what the heck did you do? Where did you turn did you find advocacy groups at that time? What was Batten disease? You know, it was uh, the typical, oh, it was found by this this guy named Batten. And you're like, yeah, and is there a cure? Uh, no. No treatments? No. Okay, great. You do everything that the doctor tells you not to do. You be you go to WebMD, you start, you know, scouring Google for Batten disease, and, and you start to read all these horrible, horrible stories. 
And at that time, there was a few support groups. I was going through a horrible divorce at that time. It just drove us even farther apart about, you know, what to do. You know, you know, women in general, the moms out there, they want the best. They want to protect. They want to bubble wrap. You know, men just want to, you know, throw some dirt on and say, let's go. And in this situation, I kind of had to understand that this was going to be a lot more difficult than just putting a, a Band-Aid on it and going, you know. So I could live with the seizures and the cuts and the bruises, but to watch your son, you know, just kind of just deteriorate in front of your eyes. It was uh, very challenging. And to be going through a divorce at the peak of, of a diagnosis, I just can't understand how you can cope with all of that kind of stress and your family dynamic kind of yeah, just blowing up. Yeah. I was very angry, very sad, very resentful, just lost really, really bad. And not having that support from your partner at the time because you're just angry at each other and uh, you lose sight of what the bigger picture is. And it took me it took me a while to kind of like focus and separate that, you know, for the, the greater good of your children. Still a challenge today, you know, but you do what you have to do. And I've gotten a lot better at that. And I've gotten a lot better at being more in touch with people's feelings and having more compassion and empathy for others that just don't have it for themselves. What are some things that you found to kind of help you through that? What, to, to become knowledgeable? <laughs> to become knowledgeable, but definitely to help you ride that out. And, you know, dealing with Sebastian's newfound diagnosis and just right. the transition to being a single dad. Yeah, it was gut-wrenching and extremely fearful. I had the support of my family, of course, my parents, my brothers, my sister, friends in the in the community that, that all knew Sebastian, you know, and, you know, it's it's sad in divorce. People choose sides. And uh, I was grateful that people, you know, they did that, but they saw that Sebastian needed really a lot of attention, a lot of care. So there was a lot of a big rally on both sides to support trying to figure out what we were going to do next as, you know, for Sebastian's life. I'm going to die myself out here. So I'm sober almost 26 years now and from drugs and alcohol. And I believe firmly in, in Alcoholics Anonymous and I do the 12 steps and I apply the 12 steps to my daily life. So without those men and women in those support groups and my parents who were sober, obviously, you know, for decades, 20, 30, 40 years, I had, you know, a safety net. But the funny thing is like when you go through such incredibly damaging, life-changing news, you really have to use those tools that you have been given or you just go down into this depression. So I went into this depression because I didn't want to believe it. It was really challenging as a dad. Man, Christopher, adding on top being a recovering alcoholic, a divorce, a fatal rare disease, and also being you, right? Like still having to get up and go to work. I'm so grateful that you had the safety net, as you call it, to at least, I don't know, make sure that you didn't spiral in one way. Because it, it sounds like you kept the alcohol thing sturdy, and I'm sure that's a constant thing every day. Relapse is very apparent in this world of, of uh, rare disease. Or, you know, Some of us don't even try to get sober. I don't judge. I don't blame. I just understand. So it was, it was by those, those components that I was able to you know, pull myself out of the depression, you know, unscathed, as they would say, because I, I remained sober. I was going to a lot of meetings and connecting with other families and family foundations. And um, I finally found a mom that just gave it to me straight. And that was uh, Kristen Gray uh, for the Charlotte and Gwyneth uh, Gray Foundation, who have two children who are suffering from Benton disease, CLN6. And uh, she's been a great friend. 
and a great support system for me. Wow. I'm so glad you found her. And I just want to say I have so much respect for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Abby. That's it's not even something I can comprehend, the level of difficulty there. But well, I mean, you're doing it too. You're going through this, some parts of it, yes, with your son, Ford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we all are. You know, there's just extra things that compound for some people. And sure. That one's difficult. So good freaking job, dude. <laughs> for real. <laughs> That's no small feat. When you were in this deep, dark depression from all of that, did you find that you wanted to connect with other dads like you, other dads, rare disease dads? Yeah. And not necessarily your AA community, but did you need that connection in the rare disease world and did you find it? Oh, of course. I needed it like God. <laughs> you know, you always say you think you know what you're doing until you actually have to do something. And you can talk, 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 but with no action, you're just spinning your wheels. And there was a few parents in AA and NA and wherever else I was going for support groups that kind of understood because they had special needs children. And a couple of them were, you know, suffering from rare disease. But what I found, and this is still true today, is that dads check out a lot in this disease of rare disease as a whole. Very few stay. You know, I try to keep everything lightly moving. And I always say moms and dads are different in rare disease. You know, there's, there's a tremendous amount of divorce in rare disease and it's hard to survive. So, you know, moms freak out and dads check out. That's my tagline. So I wanted to find some dads. I found a few. And I also found that it was very hard for them to connect with other men because it's just so debilitating. You know, you're watching your child die in front of you and you are faced with a tremendous amount of challenges and responsibilities. Without a two-parent system, it's just fight or flight, in my experience. When you say check out, you don't necessarily always mean divorce and dad leaving, but kind of checked out and not really being present and talking about what's really going on, right? Oh, yeah. That's part of it, too. And that's before the divorce. You know, I, I've, I've talked to quite a few moms and dads alike, whether they're married or not, and they have that, oh, shit moment. What am I going to do? And it's a real test of your strength of being a man or being a mom or, you know, a dad or a, or a wife, brother, sister. We all go through it. It's just like that. You're, it's your moment. Are you going to stay and help and fight or are you going to leave? And a lot of people don't want to talk about that stuff. They don't want to talk about it, but it's there. It's always there. You know, so I'm grateful to some of the men that I have connected with that are still married that actually went through that. And they survived it. They actually got on board. They had a plan. They had a different lens, as they would say, and they did it together. But there's a lot of people that I've talked to, you know, both men and women who've gone through divorce with the women just say, I'm out of here. And the men do the same thing. They move on. They find other families to create. They have other babies and they just don't talk about it or they don't even participate in it. And then there's the parents that are grieving the death of that person. I can't speak to that yet, and I hope I never have to, but I'm learning a whole lot about that category called anticipatory grief, and that's what I'm faced today. It's like, when is it going to happen? When is Sebastian going to die? You know, what did you do? How did you do it? What else should I do? And all this other stuff. I call it my rat brainism because <laughs> the rats are just running around in my head. I can't shut it off. As you can tell, I like to talk. Good. That's the point of this podcast, so... <laughs> <laughs> Your rat brain thing is funny. Yesterday in our clubhouse room that you were listening in on, I categorize mine as like a tornado yeah. where there's like all this crap swirling around me all the time. And sometimes I get caught in it, but sometimes it's calm, but I still see it. I still see it swirling around. So I totally understand that rat brain thing. I can agree and I can relate. 
Yeah. You know, I feel like I've had a little bit of a different experience. I mean, obviously, but the men that I've met, the dads that I've met so far along, not in person, by the way, I haven't met any of these dads in person, but the fathers that I've met who have kids with rare diseases have been some of the most open men that I've ever met in my life. Right. I agree. Let me just be clear. I had many conversations with a lot of different men and it was me. I didn't like them. I didn't connect with them. I didn't understand them. (laughs) So to be fair, you know, it was a lot to do with me. And it was probably because I was going through that really dark period. Like, you know, you don't understand. And, you know, it's all about me. And how dare you judge? And why would you suggest that? And you're a so-and-so. You know, I fought it a lot. But coming out of it, it was, wow, I wasted a lot of opportunity there. God, I'm stupid. And so I, I have this new resurgence you know, coming out of my latest burnout, was on the phone with uh, with Gay Grossman from Neurogene, uh, who's an amazing uh, advocacy part of that company who is just incredible. She's a special needs mom herself. And, uh, you know, I, I was complaining to her about my life like I'm doing now. And she said, you know, maybe you just need a list. You need a list of people that would actually help you. And, and I'm going to give you some men's names because I talked to them and they're amazing. And I was like, oh yeah? Oh, okay. <laughs> So I did what she suggested and I just started just spamming a bunch of men on LinkedIn and (laughs) every one of them and a few of the women like yourself, you know, responded. I'm like, oh, well, you're, 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 you're one of us. Oh yeah. Let's get on a, let's get on a call. Let's, uh, let's have some emails and it's been great. And I, and I think that's because I changed my mindset. You know, I got off this pity pot, you know, oh, pour me a drink and got into like, you know, wow, I should just really listen and not try to compare as much, but to kind of apply those techniques that those men are talking about. And, you know, I have a much greater affinity for the women in this rare disease land, uh, because those are the women that are really pushing the needle. But because of you and uh, who, you know, you and I have uh, had a few chats, you have uh, suggested quite a few amazing men And I've had some great conversations with these boys that you have put me in touch with and uh, will continue to have conversations and continue to do work with them. So for that, I thank you. Well, Christopher, I have pretty good taste in men. So (laughs) there's that. And, you know, I just resonate with so much of what you said. My personality type two in the very beginning of this, you know, an early intervention person was like, do you want me to connect you with some moms? And I was like, absolutely not. Like, I'm not going to go sit around and have these chats like I need something different. And then when I finally opened my mind up to it and realized this is actually what I need, I came to the table completely different. So I totally get what, what you mean there. Yeah. Okay, well, let's move into it. I mean, you dropped everything at some point, right? Once you came out of your depression, which, by the way, wasn't wasting time. It's what it was. I'm no therapist, but you obviously succeeded and you've persevered in You started something called Project Sebastian, yes, which you're breathing some new life into now, which is why you've reached out again to everyone. So tell me a little bit about it. Sure. I call that Faithful Lunch. I'm actually writing an article for The Mighty right now, and I'm actually at that part where I met the Greys. You know, just a simple pick up the phone, call her foundation, and left a message for Kristen. And while I'm walking my dog, less than two hours later, she's like, hey, what's up? It's Kristen Gray. I said, oh, oh, hey. We got something in common. She goes, oh, really? Like what? Who are you? (laughs) Just, I was like, I loved it. I was like, oh my God, this is my kind of person. (laughs) 
I said, hey, our kids are dying. She goes, yeah, really? That's funny. Yeah, they are. What's going on? Tell me what's up, Valona. Because she calls me Valona. Love it. From that conversation led into an invitation with uh, a lunch so she, she could meet uh, my ex-wife, my son, and our neurologist at UCLA with her husband, Gordon. And it was a very life-changing lunch, per se, because they didn't sugarcoat it. They just simply said, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. There's really no hope. There's really nothing, you know, you're, if you're waiting for people to do it, it's never going to happen. So you need to do it yourself and we can help you. We're going to give you a blueprint for success on how to fundraise and let's go. Let's, let's get big. And I was like, yeah, let's go. And I just had some new hope. I had already had a 501c3 reserve for Project Sebastian because I was going to cure epilepsy, of course, from the first diagnosis using uh, medical marijuana and cannabis products. And uh, I had had a botanist and I had convinced uh, that same doctor that's uh, helping Sebastian today, Dr. Hussein, to actually uh, take these business calls and these meetings uh, with growers. And, and this is right before the big boom of uh, Epidiolex and these different types of uh, synthetic cabotinoids that they were doing for epilepsy in children, especially in spasm. So I was really positioned really well because I'd had a company called Sequoia CBD at the time. We're working with uh, kids that were suffering from Dravet syndrome and Sebastian was on the other side of the spectrum, which he would have like a seizure like a month. And then he'd have these clusters and then he'd have like long-term non-episodic years uh, or months within those years. And you're kind of like, huh, this is really great. But the great thing about that was that just the, the connections had just opened up from just meeting this woman. And I, I realized that I wasn't alone for once. I really wasn't. And, you know, when you go through a divorce, which I highly don't recommend. But when you go through that, you feel you're completely alone. And then when you find people that are actually willing to, like, listen to you and understand you, and then you're actually willing to do the work in that area, you have, a like, a resurgence. So I repurposed... Project Sebastian out of medical research into Batten disease research. So that began in 2012 systematically. And we began raising awareness and uh, fundraising for a cure. Currently, there is no cure, but there are treatments available to prolong the life of the child. And they just keep getting better and better and better. And I don't know if Project Sebastian has had anything to do with that, but we certainly make a lot of noise. Yeah, I've found some of your fundraising efforts and they're ridiculous. And I saw that you even had your name on some bill to enact something that I didn't really quite figure out. You got busy. You were like kind of all over the map. Right. The ex chose the side of charity where you raise a bunch of money with a lot of wealthy people. I chose to go through government, you know, so we were really attacking this from all sides. You know, you got private and then you've got the state and local officials. So I called up my congressmen and uh, my local senators and I said, hey, I need some help. And uh, what can we do? And I sat down with Senator Scott Wilk here in uh, Santa Clarita. And he says, well, this is awful. This is, we need to do something. And I said, yeah, we do. What can we do? And he says, let's get a resolution together. Let's get some, let's get some attention. I said, yes. So we, uh, we co-authored Senate Joint Resolution 25 for Baton Disease Awareness Weekend, which went through the California State Senate in the House and unanimously passed. So the first weekend in June is Baton Disease Awareness Month for the entire state of California. Congratulations. That's not easy to do. I've done a couple of things now with legislation or not even that, but bureaucracy and whew, that's boring, man. That's not my gift. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm a no. I, I find it extremely exciting to watch people kind of do their magic and to promote something on your behalf to just get some sort of like, you know, it, it's completely unbiased in nature, but it's like, 
wow, thank you. That like people outside your family, outside the fundraising efforts, uh, uh, took note to help you. And I didn't stop there. I mean, I, I contacted several congressmen and leaders in our in, in California. And we were able to actually this year get L.A. County to recognize Baton Disease as Awareness Month for the entire city of Los Angeles. That's amazing. Right. And so we had a nice little lunch, so a little picture up with uh, Catherine Barger, who's the uh, councilwoman out here. And uh, she pretty much uh, supervisor, Catherine Barger, sorry. She's the one that uh, met Sebastian. And uh, it was just a fun day. You know, she's a very sweet lady. She's very into causes like that, just uh she just got a big heart, and I was just blown away at just how much she wanted to help Sebastian. So where did you go? Is this kind of when you went into your depression that you had? You're all over the map. You're all busy with Project Sebastian. And then late 2018, you kind of dropped off the map. I wouldn't say I dropped off the map. I, I, I think that in 2018, 19, it got really hard. Sebastian was debilitating in front of me and, you know, the fundraising efforts had kind of like stalled a little bit in my end. And, and I just wasn't, it just wasn't fun anymore. And I was tired. That's, that's where it really just kind of like said, okay, I got to re I got to do something and I got to do something different. And I got to really just reinvent myself again. <laughs> and, and I have to keep the needle moving because this kid's really waiting for his gene therapy you know, we started doing some work with Nationwide Children's Center in Ohio. There's a great team of scientists out there, uh, Jill Weimer, Catherine Meyer, all these people that we first met in Los Angeles that had told us about all of this research and what the Greys were doing and they were creating gene therapy. And like, I was like, oh my God, let's go. But you just can't go and get it. You have to go through, you know, a typical interview process as if you were getting a job to see if your child is even physically or mentally fit to have gene therapy replacement. And not everybody's included. And it's, it's very sad. And I remember during that time, there was a lot of death a lot of children had lost their battles and it was it was really just like sad and i checked out again i was like oh my god i can't do this this is so hard i just you get to know these families and you get to know these kids and then they die and it was like when is this going to happen for sebastian so it was like what do you do how do you live with that so you can either go back into depression or figure out another way I don't like depression. <laughs> depression sucks. And uh, I don't recommend it, but sometimes it's just given to us. And this is just how you, you have to just get, you, you find your people again. So my friend said, you should start a podcast. <laughs> I said, everybody's got a podcast. And they said, oh, you're just like, you know, you're like the new Joe Rogan. And of course I love compliments. And I said, yeah, let's go. And so <laughs> I created the uh, the Project Sebastian podcast where we started interviewing families who were going through Batten disease. And a lot of them really just said, yeah, I need to say something. And there was a lot of great episodes that I had logged in from 2017 all the way through 2019 where families were on there. The people I knew just from Batten disease and clinic and all that stuff. But they were just bitching about life, financial ruin, all the treatments, all of the doctors and how tired they were. And I was like, oh, man, I really understand those people. And it just kept, you know, steamrolling and getting bigger and bigger. And my audience grew. And then I got on iTunes and I was like, wow, I'm successful. Ooh. And then, you know, I got some of my doctor friends to come on there and like Dr. Jupensky and all the team, you know, when he was at CNN and. It was great. And it still wasn't enough for me. 
it was really sad. Well, I know as a podcaster who talks to people who are going through this stuff all the time, there can be limits to all the things that you can face at a time, right? My favorite therapist, Rose Reef, talks about compassion fatigue a lot, which is a really interesting concept. And I think it's really common in our world. And there's a lot of work that you have to do to make sure you have self-preservation and make sure that you're able to be present and you can't just do it. And sometimes, like you said, things just get handed to you. It's no joke, man. Mm, that's for sure. It's hard to just do it all the time. I mean, I'm not an athlete. I'm not a millionaire. I'm not a Nike star. You know what I'm saying? I'm just, I'm just a dad. I'm just a dad with a purpose. And it's, it's challenging to, like you said, you drop everything, right? You, you have to be there 24-7, 365. And you can't rely on anybody else. You can't have a normal job because you get fired for leaving because your child is sick or you have to go to another appointment or he has a seizure and cracks his head open. You're living in the ER. You're going through a whole bunch of different rigmarole mold. And, you know, these employers, they simply don't like it. <laughs> so you have to find a, a some sort of an income to, you know, sustain. And then you have to, like, really swallow your ego and pride and get on government assistance because there's just no other way, which is very humbling to do in this world. And I have to say that I struggled with it, you know, because it's like I'm capable. I'm young. I'm strong. I have a degree. I have an education but I'm going to sit there with my hand out with the government because I can't work. I got a lot of crap for it. It was crazy. I got a lot of crap for doing that. But if you're not aware of what happens and how you have to take care of a special needs child, and I'm talking about the special needs child that, that aren't dying because they need a constant a support system as well. But if you add in a rare disease child that's dying, there's no cure, you want to be there. And you'll sacrifice money to be equating time because there's no value that you can receive because what if you work 40 hours a week and you miss out and then that child dies anyway and then what do you got? You got nothing. So I made these choices for me and it was humbling and hard and I'm still struggling financially. But the great thing about it, Effie, is I'm here and I get to make that kid have a great life. And I got to tell you, this kid makes me laugh every time I see him. <laughs> he is the funniest dude in the room. And he doesn't care. He doesn't let his disease define him. He just keeps moving. And he teaches me a lot. And I was reminded of that today from Nicole Boyce today. I was just on a call with her from RareX. You know, you have to remember that they're here to teach us as well. And I was just like, you're right. And my day just completely got better. And instead of looking at the miserable side of this crap, I had to like look at it from a different lens and say, this is pretty cool. This is pretty awesome life because I get to laugh with my child. And not a lot of parents can say that. It's very inspiring what she said to me today. And I'm grateful to have a new friend, a new ally in my life like you. Mm, man, I am just nodding along with you. There's just something so special about these kids. And there's something even more special that you can just kind of float above it all and look down and go, wow, like there might be all of this other stuff that's horrifying, but like, this is the best. This is absolutely the best. And this is what I'm going to protect. Right. And I have to remember for me that I am very lucky as a dad in this, this category, Batten disease. And I'll tell you why, because my son is extremely healthy compared to some of these other children. You don't really see it because you're always like, oh my God, oh my God, what's next? What's next? 
And you talk to these other parents who their children are bedridden. They have G-tubes. They can't speak. They can't see. They're just there, like lifeless. And they make very little movement or sounds. Sebastian is still walking, still talking, still living. He's still independent to a point. He rides the bus. He gets to go to school. And I have to remember that, that it could be a hell of a lot worse. And so I am one of the lucky ones. I'm one of the grateful dads out there that can just tell you right now. In my Batten disease diagnosis, we are extremely lucky to have what we have. And I know that sounds weird because I'm not advocating like you should have a rare disease child. <laughs> I'm not because it really sucks. But if you can remember where you're at in your disease and the things that we forget that, hey, he's here, she's alive, she may blink to answer me. And it's these little things that we just don't know how to explain to others. It's very, very alarming and scary, but it can be very effective because this, this immense power of gratitude, it's like, God, what am I bitching about? It could be so much worse. So I refuse. I refuse to watch that. I refuse to listen to that or to pay attention to that. I decided that we're going to keep him moving. We're going to keep him lifting weights. We're going to keep him eating. We're going to keep him learning. We're going to keep him as healthy as we possibly can until we get to gene therapy. But they always say, when's gene therapy coming? And I always say the same answer. I don't know. So instead of me wondering when it's going to happen, I am training Sebastian like he's the first round draft pick out of college for the NFL. And he's got a team, Effie, that treats him like that. And that's because of our uh, of our parenting. And, and I watch you too, Effie, just so you know. I watch you and how you are with your children. We are a unique breed and we will never give up on our children when we actually get into action. It's incredible, the transformation. Mm. I think Valona just dropped the mic. <laughs> Yes. I hope yes. that's an, ex an expensive <laughs> mic. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. Chris, I just, I'm, I'm so deeply touched by the insight that you share and, you know, the battles that you've fought yourself through to like your core and where you are. It's really moving. And I think this is going to be really important for a lot of dads to hear and a lot of dudes <laughs> you know, because the stigma on men having these open, vulnerable, honest conversations isn't necessarily the norm. I think it's definitely getting better and it's refreshing to see, but it really means a lot to me that you're so open and you're not just with me. I can see it that you've been like that for probably your whole life, but I like how you just tell it how it is and I really appreciate it. Thank you. You know, they say that anger and ego is the death of every man. And uh, it's hard for men to be vulnerable. It's hard for our species to kind of let everybody in because we're supposed to be rugged and strong and, and, and capable. Nothing's going to get to us, you know, because we're, we're cavemen and we're hunters and gatherers. So we can't show them that vulnerable side because then other men will judge us that we're weak. But I'm here to tell you that the more I let people understand these challenges, they don't call me weak. They call me strong. And it's me. I have to get out of my own way to let that in because I just think that you're not going to understand. But I'm so pleasantly surprised that a few men get it. And it's because they're in it and because they've dealt with it. 
But until you find your tribe, it's hard. It's really hard. And I think that's for every person across the board, especially in rare disease. That's number one. Go find your people because you can't start anywhere without at least one of them. You can't. <laughs> find your peeps. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Well, Chris, is there anything that you want to leave for anyone? Or do you want to tell me what your new goals are and where you're taking Project Sebastian or just your advocacy in general? <laughs> I'm excited for your new energy and to see where it goes. I'm so like really just loving that hashtag you sent me last night, the dadficacy. I've never heard that. <laughs> oh, uh, I'll get you a shirt. I made shirts like last year. I will buy. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to tell you about, you know, Project Sebastian is pivoting. We're stepping up the bar because we, you know, we just don't have enough to do where we're going to just go into rare disease as a whole. We feel at Project Sebastian, we can make a bigger impact by helping everybody in all rare diseases, not just Batten disease. So we've created a new website at www.projectsebastian.org. And it's a beautiful new interpretation of where our new goals are going to be going forward. My ultimate goal in the next five years is to have a brick and mortar facility where you can get the compassion, the advocacy, the education in rare disease and helping the families get there a little bit quicker. Because the one thing I wanted to stress about everybody listening is like time is the enemy. It is the one component that you can't buy, you can't steal, and you certainly can't get it back. So you really need to just be present because if I were to teach you a way, Effie, that could save you a couple years of frustration, you'd be willing to listen, right? So that's what Project Sebastian is going to be doing through our support system and our groups, peer-to-peer, men-to-men, woman-to-woman. And we're going to you know, steal from a few of my life situations that I'm currently in. Another component of that is mental health uh, through CSG Consulting, you know, where we, we're going to help you stay sober and help you understand mental awareness. So that's consulting with CSG.com as well. And they really blend well together because a lot of people in rare disease, they are lost in the beginning. And just like I was, I want to help other people, men and women alike, get there faster and get their answers faster or connect them with individuals like Effie and to start a whole new conversation of actual support and not just like, I don't know what to do. Yes, that's awesome. I have no doubt your brick and mortar thing will be up in no time because I have a feeling you get shit done. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I appreciate the kudos. Thank you so much. And we are just uh, starting out again. And once I finish these couple of articles about my rare disease burnout, I'll probably really hit the ground running. So this talk has been awesome and very inspiring. I enjoy you as a person and I enjoy you as an advocate as well. Right back at you. Thanks for being my guest. I'll link everything in our show notes. And I'm so happy to be connected with you and walk along this journey with you. It's awesome. My pleasure. And the same. And that just uh, whatever you need, please reach out. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people. And please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. 
Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate you all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you. Ha 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 ha!